Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So we're still on break and working on the release of book number two of the Ruins of Empire series, Templum Veneris. We're going to get that ebook, paperback, and yeah, even a hardcover out this summer with a podcast that continues soon after. In the meantime, what follows is the next installment of a series of short stories we're calling The Darkness of Titan. This story went on a little long, so we broke it up into two parts, and we'll be releasing the second part next month. As always, if you haven't left us a review yet, please do so. It helps more people find this little project and lets us know that there are people out there who listen and generally like what we're doing. And if you'd like the most up-to-date news on Temple and Veneris or any other projects done by yours truly, go to www.ruinsofempirebook.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter and get even more exclusive content as well as the latest news directly in your inbox. And now, without further delay, I give you the first part of a two-part story Venganto Awaken. Right now, my name is Captain Zislov of the 45th Infantry Interstellar Resources Security Division. In a few hours, I don't know who I will be. Three soldiers and two doctors marched me down a long, white hallway, deep inside some unmarked building on the outskirts of The Hague. The kind of place that a million people pass by every day, but never wonder what goes on inside. I am wearing my dark crimson dress uniform, along with the symbols of my rank and division. One small act of dignity, before they destroy my brain. The problem is, I know what happened on Titan. I led the ground troops, who were assigned to give aid to the citizens held hostage by Transplanetary Energy's military forces on the colony. Our mission was to break the standoff at the spaceport, drive back hostile forces, and provide supplies and protection to the citizens trapped inside. That was the official version of our mission, anyway. Unofficially, we were there to train and equip rebel colonists and use them to help capture Legia City. It didn't go well. I saw things on that moon that I will never forget, which is why I'm here. As long as those memories remain, they are a threat to the company. We turn a corner, and doctors rush to open the door. Inside, there is nothing but the same white plastic walls, the kind of interior that is easy to clean the blood off of. There are no decorations, no furniture, not one ounce of humanity. There is only a one-way mirror on the side opposite the door, and a reclining chair made out of the same white plastic as the rest of the room. I hesitate for a moment before my military escort politely shoves me through the door. I take a seat on the recliner, and the doctor secure my arms and feet with leather straps attached to the chair. They shaved my head before they led me down here, and now they attach some kind of electronic patches to various parts of my skull. You're going to feel a little pinch, Captain, says one of the scientists. I clench my teeth as I feel a tiny needle push its way through my skull. I've never had implants in my brain before. I've never believed in trying to mess with or enhance the few brains I was lucky enough to be given at birth. So I never felt anything like this. I swear I could hear the needle sliding into place. I can only imagine what I look like when they are done. There is nothing but a white wall in front of me, 
and I can't turn my head enough to see the one-way mirror. I picture some outlandish villain from one of those old 20th century horror movies. Without another word, everyone leaves, and I am alone. I take a deep breath and wait. Even with my arms strapped firmly to the armrests, my hand won't stop shaking. After what feels like hours, an intercom screeches to life. Captain, we are going to record your memories now. While that happens, they are going to feel very real and very vivid. Do you understand? Of course I understand. There hasn't been a night where I don't toss and turn on the edge of sleep, my brain lost in some dream where I relive what happened on Titan. Not one night where I don't wake up screaming in the name of some comrade, I watch screaming in pain as the fire consumed their flesh. I understand, I say. We want you to think back to when you arrived. Close your eyes if that helps. Concentrate on your first few hours on Titan. I take another deep breath and close my eyes. And just like that, I'm back. I can feel that cold, suffocating air, like an ice blanket wrapped tight around my body. I can smell the petroleum and the methane in the air, like someone was perpetually passing gas in front of me. I look behind me to see my platoon. They were fifty of the finest men and women from the more than three hundred soldiers under my command. Walking there now, I inexplicably feel a sense of security and comfort, even though I can look at their faces and know who will never leave this moon again. Which is all of them. We stop at the edge of the jungle and creep forward. The gleaming white spaceport stands out against the deep green foliage like a silver horseshoe in a patch of tall grass. The landing area is conspicuously empty of any ships, and is, instead, filled with three personnel carriers, two armored machine gun platforms, and at least two hundred soldiers in full battle gear, crouching behind their armor pieces and concrete barriers. We crouch lower as a missile drone buzzes low overhead. I use my radio to contact the people inside. The person in charge, a gentleman by the name of Marco, answers. I heard more relief in his voice than I ever heard in a person. He can't stop telling me how glad he is that this ordeal is almost over. Even then, I knew the worst of what they would have to go through was still ahead of them. I didn't have the heart to say anything at that moment. While I talk, my soldiers rig up five single-use artillery pieces. They are portable enough for one soldier to carry on their back, but their payload can easily turn one of their armored personnel carriers into a cloud of fire and debris. I tell my contact inside to stay away from the windows and, when the smoke clears, to use whatever weapons they have. My squad leaders signal that they are ready. I give the order. My men fire all five artillery pieces at once, and the spaceport disappears behind a curtain of fire and smoke. My platoon charges forward. We move in perfect formation. We take advantage of the confusion and pick off transplanetary forces running in the blind grip of panic. In the distance, their leaders call for a retreat to the city. An explosion nearby nearly knocks me off my feet. I look up to see a missile drone pass overhead. I fire on it with my assault rifle, and it tumbles end over end and joins the mess of rubble and chaos near the front of the spaceport. We're close enough now to worry about friendly fire. I call my contact inside and tell him to order his people to stand down and retreat to a safe spot inside the spaceport. This isn't even a fight anymore. 
As my platoon approaches within a hundred meters, transplanetary troops throw down their weapons and raise their hands in the air. Those that aren't surrendering, or dead, have already retreated. We are greeted by hundreds of dirty, hungry refugees inside the spaceport. They hail us as liberators, and I smile when they all want to shake my hand. But my twisting stomach can't let go of the truth. And then, I'm back in that white room. I'm breathing like I just came out of the battle. I'm sweating so much that I can't open my eyes. Very good, Captain Zizlov, says a voice over the intercom. That was a successful test. The memories were recorded with nearly 98% accuracy. I try to calm my breathing. I don't know what heart rate is dangerous, but it feels like I'm close. The scientist's voice comes over the intercom again. I want you to remember the events of Cassini Bay now, Captain. I close my eyes. Cassini Bay. That was the turning point, or so we thought at the time. The majority of Transplanetary Energy's military forces were all there, as well as industrial assets that represented the heart of why interstellar resources wanted the moon to themselves. There was a time when one could see these refinery complexes from space. That's how big they were. They were also giant, tangled messes of steel and concrete. Entire armies could hide in that industrial morass, ready to ambush. My ranks had swollen from fifty to more than 500, but that number was dwindling every day. I crouch behind a concrete embankment with 30 or so colonists that we've recruited. Not just those trapped inside the spaceport. Once we freed the people trapped there, hundreds fled the city to join our ranks. They picked up a gun, eager to drive off company leaders that lied to them and forced them to live under martial law for so long. They fight beside us, willing to risk their lives for the chance to see their home planet again. Now, after days of charging entrenched company forces, they look at me as another master who doesn't care less if they live or die. And maybe I don't. At very least, the people who are giving me my orders don't. They only care about the refinery complex. An orbital bombardment would quickly eliminate any threat inside the refineries, the entire opposition force could be wiped off the map with almost no civilian casualties with just a few strikes from our cruiser in orbit. But the refineries would be destroyed as well. And if there is one thing that is becoming clear, it's that no price is too high to protect company profits. I've been ordered to clear the refineries using civilian militia. I was encouraged to sell this to colonists as a chance to take the moon back for themselves. We were just there to provide support and coordinate their efforts. Titan would be reclaimed with the blood of its people. It was their colony, after all. We were just going to own it. I order my two machine gun batteries to open fire. The colonists, clenching their assault rifles next to me, tense up as the air is filled with bright light and deafening sound. The machine gun batteries provide a brief moment of cover, while clearing the immediate area of potential threats. I yell for an attack, and the colonists vault over the barrier and charge toward the refinery complex. I hear random bursts of gunfire as I crouch back down behind the concrete barrier and retrieve my Omni display. It shows the position of all the soldiers along with their vital signs. I watch as, one by one, their position indicators stop moving and turn from green to red. Once nearly half of them are dead, 
the rest turn and run back for the relative safety of our line. If I sat down and counted them all, I'll bet it has cost us over 200 lives to get this far. The first hundred meters were the toughest. I lost two entire divisions before we were able to wear the enemy down enough to advance. The cycle repeats itself. Another division approaches the divider. The machine gun fires again, and I send another division into the fight. Once again, I watch as more people are cut down by enemy fire. Nearby, someone's breathing becomes irregular, and I look up to see a young woman. Her face is caked with dirt. Her heavy brown coat has an odd blood stain where she held a dying man close to her a couple of days ago. I'm not sure if it was a brother, a lover, or a friend. But I know she has seen more intense combat and experienced more loss than some of the hardest veterans in my platoon. And she is still crouching by the barricades, waiting to be sent in again. I want to talk to her, give her some sort of comfort, or at least find something to say that would let her know that I'm not just a heartless butcher. I should pull her back, give her some time at least to process what has happened so far, instead of piling more stress on top until her mind snaps. Get it together, I yell at her. For a split second, she stares at me with a hatred that burns itself into my soul. I know then that I will see that face later as I relive this moment in my nightmares. Sometimes, in those dreams, she is standing over my bed looking at me. She is armed and waiting to do what she had every right to do that day at the barricades. But in that moment, she wipes her face and turns away. She peeks over the top of the concrete and waits for my order that will probably send her to her death. The last group is retreating. I notice that we were able to pick up another 50 or more meters. At least five colonists are dead because of it. That little scrap of industrial hell isn't worth what we are losing, but, at least, the cost per square meter falls with every wave. The battle lasted for four full days, and I relive every awful moment of it. It was a battle for meters. Every day we crept forward, and every day I sent more and more colonists in to die. By the time I lead the final assault to clear out the last of the resistance, darkness is following on Titan. None of my troops, even the professional soldiers I arrived with, have slept more than a couple hours at a time. We walk through the narrow passages and cramped corridors of the complex, killing the last few enemy soldiers that still remain. I move with my rifle, shouldered and ready. Two of my veterans behind me do the same. We turn the corner to see three transplanetary soldiers in their battle armor, crouching near a tangle of pipes. Their weapons are propped up against the metal and out of reach. I don't know if they were just resting, if they'd given up, or if they intend to surrender. I don't ask. A short burst of gunfire, a splash of blood, and it's all over. They fall backward and gasp their last breath. Right this second, I don't feel anything. No anger, no pity, no relief, no sadness. I signal for my men to move on. And then I'm back. The white room. The four days passed in real time for me. There's no way of knowing if it has actually been four days in this place. I'm guessing not. From what I know about the technology, the data transfer only takes a matter of minutes, maybe an hour or so for long memories, but never as long as the actual event. Excellent, Captain. Memories recorded with 98% accuracy, says the voice on the intercom again. 
I become aware of the fact that I am hyperventilating. I want to wipe the sweat and tears from my face, but my arms are still strapped to the chair. I can't even move my head enough to shake it from my face. So I just lean forward as far as I can and cry. Partially it's because I can finally let go and express all the pain, anger, and guilt I felt at the time, but had to suppress. Also, it's a way to let my face drip dry. Do you need a moment, Captain? Says a voice over the intercom. When I walked into this room, I was afraid of losing who I was when I came in. Now, I'd give anything to be anyone else. Seeing it all again has made me realize that wiping my memory would be the best thing that ever happened to me. I swallow and try to blink away the tears and sweat so that I can see what is in front of me, which is nothing, so I don't know why I bothered. I take a few more moments to let the grief recede, and then I say, I'm fine. You can continue. We are coming up on the problematic memories now. I know this is hard for you, Captain, but trust us. This will help you get better. I don't respond. The truth is, they don't care if I'm well or not. Better, in this context, means that I won't go around telling everyone else what the various corporations have been up to on the colonies. Transplanetary energy was bought out by Interstellar Resources a few months ago, and it's bad for business for the rest of the world to know how hostile this hostile takeover really was. And it really isn't good for business if the world knew what was really on Titan. They would never set foot on that godforsaken moon again if they knew what I know. Luckily for the company's labor coordinators, nobody will ever know. My division is dead. I'm the only one left. Remember the final assault at Lagaya City? If you can, please make a distinction between what you saw and what you simply believe you saw. It will help isolate the damaged cells, and it will help us be more precise when it comes time for treatment. I close my eyes. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, The Darkness of Titan, a special release from The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was Nick Martin. Music was Wounds by Ketza at ketzamusic.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks. Independent new media produced in Idaho.